Good morning again. It's good to have you all here. It's good to have fall here as well. I don't know if you remember a few short weeks ago, Icky was standing on this stage, sweating into a puddle. Those days are over. I'm calling it now. If summer comes back, you can blame me, but I'm really hoping it doesn't, because it's nice. It's nice to have the windows closed. It's a little bit warm in here, but we're not dying. It's good. It's really good. We have the scripture here before us. Clark so wonderfully read this idea of uh, what it means to go through the Proverbs now sits before us. Uh, the Proverbs aren't one of those things that we can break apart necessarily like Paul. Can't break it down like the book of Colossians. We can't necessarily sit in front of it, slash it. So this is not going to be a vocabulary lesson this time around. I know for some of you that's really disappointing that there aren't pop quizzes as part of church today, but we'll do a little bit of grammar to keep the, those who are more inclined to study deeper, we'll get into that. But I want to start with uh, a poem. I won't read the whole thing, um, but some of you may be familiar with Robert Frost's poem, The Road Not Taken. In the last stanza of his poem, it says, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. I thought about this this week as I was working through this proverb, this part of uh, chapter one, trying to understand the difference between this road that one group of people takes and this other road that a father is trying to tell uh, his son to take instead of the other one. And there are two paths, and Robert Frost came to mind. And the easiest answer for all of this is to spend time talking about how to take the other path. Uh, we know what the other one looks like. Apparently, it's littered with violence. It's littered with murder and theft and some of the worst things you can think of. And uh, I won't spend a lot of time, I really won't spend any time teaching you how to get down that path. So the easiest answer is for us to, to look what the other path looks like and how to get down there. But we're not going to spend all of our time there. We're going to spend time talking about the difference between the two. Because here's the hard part. Uh, it's quite simple for us to spend that time thinking, well, if I was to locate myself in the story, well, I wouldn't be those guys. I would want to be this guy. And then we just sort of dust ourselves off and be like, good work. We did it. I chose not to murder somebody today. You can all go home winners. But that's not it. That's not the whole story. There's more to it. There's a reason why certain people are included in this story and why they're in the story, in the places that they're in. And so we're going to spend some time, if nothing else, commiserating with all of the characters in order to get a better idea of where we sit. Does that sound good? Good, good. It might be too warm in here. I might just look to the deacons and open those windows back up because if you fall asleep on me, this isn't going to go, I've already heard this sermon. I know this. So it's not all that good if I hear it again. So we'll, we'll work together on this. Does that work? Cool. All six of you are with me. Let's do it. Here's what we're going to do. I want to start you off with some good advice. Uh, I feel like a sermon should have good advice in it somewhere. Uh, I'm going to teach you the things that I have been taught, how to build healthy habits. Uh, I can tell you this. I am trying to do this myself right now. I'm very upset with our refreshments team because uh, it smells so good and it looks so wonderful and I am on a diet. So I am trying to build healthy habits, and the three or four ladies who are downstairs in the kitchen don't want me to have the same habits, Melissa. 
I tried to warn them, I tried to stop them, but apparently they were more concerned with your opinion of the refreshment table than they were with mine. To that, I think we can all say amen. Three phases of good habit formation. This is from Tom Bartow, who is a business coach. He's also an advanced trainer for Edward Jones. So Jim, maybe this is something you've already recognized. Maybe it's something you already know. Uh, I wanna start off with this. Have you heard of the 21-day habit formation? If you do something for 21 days, it becomes a habit. Who's heard of this? Good, good, that's fantastic. I am here to pop your bubble. It turns out it's a myth. It's a complete and utter myth. And it took me about 22 days to figure that out. Because <laughs> I could have sworn if I started tracking my macros and going to the gym four days a week, 21 days would go by and be like, look, it's easy. It was a lie. And I looked it up to see whether or not they had lied to me or I had lied to myself. And it turns out we all had a hand in this lie. This actually comes from uh, a study that was done trying to figure out whether or not our self-image can be worked into habits. And so this guy named Dr. Maxwell Maltz came up with a study to see whether or not 21 days could form a habit. And you know what he came up with? It doesn't. But there's a problem. We, the readers of his article, wanted so badly for it to be true that when we got to the end where it was like, and the, the idea that you can build a habit 21 days is, and then the page turned, no one turned the page. We all just went, it's true, because it's better that way. And I'm not joking when I say this, the 21 day myth is something we created for ourselves. We all just went around and said, I think that should be the way it is. And rather than look it up to see whether or not the way it is, we just went, yeah, that's the way it is. It's not, it turns out, Every day is a good day to start a good habit. And every day is a good opportunity to break that same habit. And just because you do it for 21 days in a row doesn't make it your habit. It just makes it 21 days of choosing that habit. And so instead, this guy comes through and he gives us three places for us to look into ourselves in order to understand how to build good habits. And you're gonna go through three phases. If you're trying to build a good habit and whatever that thing is you're doing, uh, there are three phases you will go to. The first phase is this. It's the honeymoon period, and it's the result of inspiration. It's where you find yourself in a place, you're flipping through Instagram, you're like, wow, she's in good shape, she's in good shape, she's in good shape, I want to get in good shape. And then you flip to the next one, it's like, here's how you get in shape. You're like, oh, I'm going to do this. And you do that for a while. And that's usually like the first 20 days where you think to yourself, that's all it takes. And you get to day 21 and you wake up and you're like, yeah, I've done it. It's good. That's where this came from. Your inspiration typically lasts you 20 days, and then you get tired, and then you get hungry, and then you get bored, and then you get lethargic, and then all of a sudden, the honeymoon's over. And unfortunately, that is true in, in multiple places. It's not just for you know, the identity of weddings and marriages, but it works here too. But you're gonna get to the second phase, and the second phase is vitally important. The author here calls it the fight through. When you reach the fight through, this is when you are struggling with your habit formation. You're doing more to keep it up than you are to enjoy what's going on. And when you hit the fight through, there are three things you need to look at. And the first one always needs to begin with recognition. And so when you hit that part where it's really hard to keep up with your habit forming, you need to recognize that I've entered into this fight and I need to win a few rounds in order to push through it. And sometimes that's all it takes. You don't have to fight every single day or every single thing. 
you find yourself, let's say, at a church, I won't name the church, and you find yourself in the foyer, and I won't name the foyer, and you're in front of a refreshment table, but I won't name the refreshment table, and you think to yourself, today's that day, I'm not going to be tested, and then, you know, the Lord puts that thing in front of you, and you think, man, that has cheese and bagels, but I'm not going to name the cheese of the bagels, but that's that point where you have to fight through. You don't have to fight constantly, you just have to win this round. And if you can win this round and you can recognize, okay, this isn't, this isn't as easy as it was yesterday, I need to fight through it. Once you recognize that, just win a couple of rounds and you'll be all right. And then you ask yourself two questions, two vitally important questions. How will I feel if I do this thing? And how will I feel if I don't do this? And this is a tough one for me. I seem to always find a way to talk about the emotions versus logic. I'm a very logical person. But the author here says, make it emotional. Ask yourself how you will feel. If I go to the gym today, how will I feel if I go to the gym? And if I can make it emotional, then it's no longer ethereal. It's actually something that exists only inside of me. I'm asking, how will I feel? Well, I will feel better. And once I think that I will feel better, then I can experience that happening. I can also do the opposite. How will it feel if I don't go to the gym? Well, I mean, it'll feel good to stay in bed, but... Is that the experience I want to have? And then once I decide to feel it, you can win off of that and you can lose off of that knowing that it will affect you emotionally. The third one is your life projection. Figure out this question. How will I be in five years if I don't make any progress and I don't make any changes? Five years from now, is this the thing I want to be? Because unfortunately, no one's going to lose this weight for me. I can't just, you know, assign it to Brigida and be like, hey, can you take care of that whole, like, weight loss thing for me, that would be great. I can't do it. It's got to be me. I'm the one who put the calories on. I'm the one who has to take the calories off. So even if I don't feel great, sometimes I might feel awful. Five years from now, what will I do? How will I feel then? Once you fight through those moments, you start to rebuild that habit. But again, it happens on a daily basis, not just after your 21st day. Then you come to the last phase, phase three, where it becomes second nature. This is called getting into the groove where it does start to feel like it's something you can do sustainably. There will still be things that will uh, interrupt what it is you're doing. And the author here, Tom, tells us what we're going to work with. There are three things you need to be aware of. One, the discouragement monster. And he is real, and he has teeth, and sharp claws, and donuts. Negative results create discouragement. When I start to feel as though I'm regressing, it's a lot harder to get back onto the Stairmaster. It's a little bit harder to get on the bike and ride myself to the church rather than just click an app on my phone called Uber and then punch in a couple of things and give them some money out of my wallet. It's much easier to do that, especially if it feels like this isn't really working anymore. I'm not really seeing what it is I, I aim to do and the discouraged monster takes over. But then there's also just regular things that happen. Tom calls these disruptions. They're significant changes in your patterns. You go on vacation, you get injured, you take a week off, and then a little bit more time, and a little bit more time goes on, and suddenly these healthy habits that you thought you were building into this one great lifestyle start to fall off. And unfortunately, when one side falls off, lots of sides fall off, and it's a lot easier to pull everything down. The last one that you have to worry about, the interruptions, are the seduction of success. Sometimes when you get those gains, those wins, you think to yourself, man, this is going really well. Maybe I don't have to be doing as much as I have to do. 
You give yourself a little bit more leniency and that seduction of success leads you into making bad choices. Or even worse, you change your process. You are starting to get these rewards and like, well, maybe I don't have to do it this way and then suddenly things change and then boom, discouragement monster right there on your front doorstep. So these are three phases of how to build healthy habits. Get those free of charge, you're welcome. You can also go onto the internet where I found them and you can look them up there. But I don't want to spend a lot of time just talking about lifestyle here. This is church. You came here to hear about scripture. You came here to talk about the things that are going on in God's world and how we connect to them. And in order to do that, like I said before, when, as we read through Proverbs, it's not just the good path. There's a separate path. There's another path. And you can choose that path as well. As a matter of fact, those characters who are on the, the low road, they have a lot more lines in this story than do Solomon or the kid he's trying to coach to go on the high road. So we should talk about that for a second. And so we'll spend some time, and these aren't as scientific and they aren't as pretty, but there are ways to develop unhealthy habits. And some of you know that from personal experience as well. But the reality is this, in order to develop unhealthy habits, just have anything happen to you ever. Right? Like, stub your toe once. I'm like, that's it, I'm not going to the gym tomorrow. <laughs> Sometimes it's just that simple, like, ah, oh, it's too cold, it's too hot, my foot hurts, my neighbor looked at me funny, that Amazon package that was supposed to be here didn't get here today. How to develop unhappy habits? Live a life. Be around other people. Be around yourself. Be in the dark. Sometimes that's all it takes to develop really unhealthy habits. Because unfortunately, if you even go through Tom's breakdown of the three phases, go through them one by one. If you have no inspiration, then there's no honeymoon. As simple as that. If you're not inspired, it's really simple to develop unhealthy habits because there's nothing pushing you to do something other than what you're doing now. If there's no recognition, then there's no point in understanding why you're suddenly losing. You're just taking L's without understanding why. And when that happens more and more, you lose, you lose, you lose. Well, this is just me, or I have really bad luck, or it's genetic. Whatever that thing is, you develop these unhealthy habits. If you recognize negativity emotionally, you will live with negativity emotionally. You can't get rid of it because you're not talking to anybody, and you're not inspired, and you continue to lose, and it just becomes the cyclone down the drain. Five years from now, if your life looks bleak, then it will probably become bleak if you don't make any changes in process. And then you get devoured by the discouragement monster and he is always hungry. If you have major and constant disruptions in your life, there's no motivation to change them, then you will stay in those places. Zero success means zero seduction. And when you're not seduced by success and you're only hanging out with the, dis uh, the discouragement monster, you spend all your time there. And sometimes all it takes is just one little thing happening. A while back, Pastor Jess uh, stood on this platform and she preached a sermon about the identity of evil and we have to look through the evil of here uh, in Proverbs 1, the idea of what these people are getting themselves into. And we think to ourselves, that's the most intense version of evil I can think of. Keith and I had a conversation on Tuesday this week uh, where he reminded us of this in our small group on Tuesday for lunch, where Pastor Jess talked about stage four evil and the difference between stage four evil and stage one evil. And there is a difference. And unfortunately, the people that we see in this story are stage four evil doers. 
And so we look at that and we think, well, as long as we don't get to that part, then we're doing okay. And sometimes that's true, and sometimes it's not quite at stage four. It's stage three, or it's stage two, or if you don't notice it, it's stage one, and it's something that just sort of works inside of you. It's not quite metastasized, but it's getting there. So we talk about it in a different framework. I'm going to take Pastor Jess's words and twist them a little bit and talk about the identity of our best best and our best worst. So sometimes when you're at your best best, like right now, you might be thinking to yourself, like, I am dressed my best best, and I am smiling at people in my best best way, and I'm very cordial even though I'm an introvert and this is really tiring. You're, oh, that's really a, a puppy, you say. Oh, good. Okay, oh, he three A's, wow, yeah. And you do that because it's good for you. It's good for you to build those relationships that way. Sometimes that's really your best best, but somewhere in between, it's probably your kind of good best. And that's all right, because most people won't ask you whether or not you're listening or whether or not you actually meant what you said. And so when we have those moments, you can just put on that front. But after a while, the front starts to lose itself, and then you become your best worst. Anybody been through their best worst? Just a complete and utter meltdown. I have a feeling there will be a child in this room who will attempt their best worst today, and that's all right. It's a good thing for a kid to express himself. If uncomfortable or it's hot or I'm hungry, those best worst moments sometimes get us into weird places. If some of you have been looking at the news this week, there was a moment with a best worst child who had a tantrum in a classroom and an Atlanta police officer arrested her, and she was eight, and brought her in for fingerprinting and took a mugshot, and her best worst now has a national news headline to go with it. Most of the time, our best worst are just screaming into a pillow or using a singular finger behind the wheel when someone cuts you off. That's your best worst moment, and they're usually pretty private. But our best best and our best worst can be on display depending on... Uh, what we're going through, but usually it starts from a catalyst. What's the one thing that will decide your best best from your best worst? We can go back to scripture and we see at the beginning um, here in verse eight, it says, hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. You could stop right there because ultimately a lot of your understanding of how to act within the world came from somebody else. Somebody else taught you in these moments, here's how you portray yourself to the people around you. And sometimes you learn your best best from your parents and sometimes you learn your best worst. There's always that shocking moment where you think to yourself, oh, they learned that from somewhere and I seem to remember myself saying the same thing earlier this week. That's a bummer that that's being passed on to my kids. Sometimes your best best, they, they do something above and beyond and think to yourself, man, where did they get that from? Potentially that's on you, that you helped them get to a place where they understood who to be and how to be and how to act within it, we can look at your father's instructions and your mother's teaching. But here's where the crossroads really start to make sense to all of us. Whether you've decided to go down the good road or the bad road, the high road or the low road, here's your reality check for the morning. Judge not the ones who do not have the fathers and the mothers like yours. And the hard part is not everybody's father and mother taught them the same thing. Not everybody's father and mother was there as the backstop to keep them from going further down the low road. Sometimes it takes somebody else pulling you out of it to tell you that's not the way you're supposed to be or you're better than that or you know better than that or I've taught you better than that. Sometimes when you get into that rhythm and somebody has taught you the best way to get ahead is to beg, borrow, and steal. If somebody else has it, then it could be yours and go and take it. When those fathers and mothers are trying to bring people up, guess who raised those fathers and mothers? 
the fathers and mothers who came before them. And it's easy for us to say, well, we shouldn't go down that road, but actually we need to look further back. We need to go generationally and understand what was happening for that kid as they were coming up. Not everybody's parent was Solomon. Not everybody had the Christian education. Not everybody had the understanding of how to deal with the worst when the discouragement monster comes through and how to battle him back and how to win a couple of rounds. Some people get knocked down once and then they stay on the mat. Going back to uh, Pastor Jen's sermon from this past week, she gave us this formula here, knowledge minus experience equals arrogance, experience minus knowledge is recklessness, and knowledge plus experience is wisdom. And that's all well and good, but what happens when the knowledge that you have is not actually good knowledge? What do you do when I tell you the answer to something and it turns out that answer is wrong? Turns out you have a flawed knowledge and then you take away experience. It's not only arrogance, this is how you get to the rest of Proverbs. Somebody walked in saying the best thing you can do for yourself is look after yourself and don't worry about what other people are thinking. That, minus the experience of knowing what happens, get you, gets yourself into a place where you think it's totally fine to do the things that I'm doing. Flip it around. If you have really ex a good experience and you take away knowledge, it can become recklessness. But if your experience is horrible, horrible experience, and you have been abused over and over and over again, and you don't understand, you don't have the knowledge that that's not okay, then you will pass that on, not only as recklessness, but you pass along that violence, you pass along that uh, abuse. And those things can become worse and worse over time. Of course, knowledge plus experience could equal wisdom if it's good knowledge and good experience, but if it's bad knowledge, look after yourself before anybody else, don't let anybody else get in your way, and your experience tells you that if you do harm to other people, you actually gain more in the process, your wisdom is not valuable. It's not actually the way things are supposed to be. You spend more time on the low road here than you do on the high road. So we have to somehow figure out how to balance these things out. The math equation really only works if you've been given the right instructions. Think about it this way. How many of you use Apple Maps? Nobody, sweet, okay, Japheth. Japheth, Japheth and Danny, of course it's Japheth and Danny, the only two people in the room. How about Google Maps? Where are my Google Maps people? Yeah, there we go. Anybody still using Waze? Waze? Anybody? Waze? Yeah, good. Uh, Garmin? Anybody have a Garmin in their car? One Garmin? Two, three Garmins? What about TomTom? Uh, -tom? Is that still a thing? TomTom? -tom? Nobody still uses TomTom? -tom? All right, TomTom's dead to all of us. But think about this. If we were to try and figure out how to get from here to where we're going and we all plug in a different thing, if you plug in Apple Maps, you'll probably get there. You also might drive through a lake which has happened. It's like turn left here and you're like, well, I trust Siri with everything else in my life. She must know something I don't know. And then you're neck deep in water. Apple Maps doesn't have the same capability that let's say Google Maps does. You will get from here to there, but every once in a while your car is gonna drive on a bike path. I don't know why that happens, but I have met those drivers while driving my bike here. How did you get here? Google told me to, and you never finished the sentence. It's always just Google, Google, and you move on. Ways, you're going to get there, but you're also going to know like right now where the accident is. You're going to figure out where the cop is. You're going to figure out which routes to take, who's doing construction, whether or not something is spilled. It will give you up to the minute because it's basically crowdsourcing 
traffic patterns. And you'll get there, but you'll probably take a different route than the Apple Maps who drove the lake and the Google Maps that are on the bike path and you who have found the path in between. If you have a Garmin, it means you have a lot of money. And if you have a TomTom, you're out of date, apparently. But it's the same thing. If you think about those being your parents, sometimes you're going to learn things from ways that you probably don't need to know, which is where all the cops are. And you're going to get into a rhythm of thinking, I'm going to speed, 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 then slow down, speed, 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 and then slow down. Google's not going to give you any of that. It'll just tell you when things are getting like really hectic, and then your line turns red. And you know you can't speed because there are cars in the way. But you're going to learn different habits based on what you're doing. Sometimes you're going to learn, I've turned in that lake so many times, I'm going to get a boat. That's good if you can afford a boat. But sometimes you think to yourself, well, if I keep doing this, it's more expensive to fix my car than it is to buy a boat. I might as well just buy a boat. But that's not always good advice. That's not always good wisdom. Sometimes your experience of driving a lake is negative, and you shouldn't create more life experiences around it. Just like your parents, sometimes they teach you good things, you should follow those things, and sometimes they're bad, and you need to discard that. Unless you're a child in the room and you can hear the sound of my voice, your parents know everything. They're so smart. Everything they tell you is important, and you should hang on to those things. But the reality is this, not everybody is a hero. Sometimes there are supervillains, and every superhero needs an origin story, and so do the supervillains. There is a movie coming out in October. It is called The Joker, and it's basically taking this idea and building it out for all of us. And The Joker, uh, I'll give you the film synopsis. It says this, it says, a failed comedian, his name is Arthur Fleck, he encounters violent thugs while wandering the streets of Gotham City dressed as a clown. Disregarded by society, Fleck begins a slow descent into madness as he transforms into the criminal mastermind known as the Joker. And you think to yourself, man, you know, the Joker always seems like a bad guy, right? Like, Batman is good, the Joker is bad. Superman is good, Lex Luthor is bad. And we just build that road, just like the Proverbs, of just, well, there's the right thing to do, and then there's the murderer's thing to do, and you should not do those things and be more like Batman, right? Like, that's the lesson my parents passed down to me, like, be more like Batman. And I was like, great, I can't wait for your inheritance. Also, I'm pretty sure you have to die in this story for me to become great. It's not always a good thing. I like my parents. One of my parents is watching right now, and I feel like if I would have just said, I want to become Batman, I would get a text message right here to my phone, and it would be different life advice from her with a lot angrier words. But you think about this Joker, you think about the supervillain story, what, what's the thing that took Arthur Fleck from a comedian to the Joker? Well, he was abused by a bunch of people on his way home and he happened to be wearing clown, a clown costume while he was doing it. Have one thing happen to you anytime, anywhere, and you begin developing bad habits. And you go from Arthur Fleck to becoming the Joker. When you think about all of these Horrible things that happen, they always go talk to the neighbors and be like, hey, so what did you know about your neighbor? What's the one thing they always seem to say? Well, he seemed like such a quiet guy. Well, he seemed like such a nice guy. I always saw him out with his kids. Sometimes it just takes walking home from something you love doing to something you love, or a place you love going, and you're abused in the middle by people who seek to do you harm, and all of a sudden, your supervillain story has an origin. The reality is this, there are Arthur Flex in Proverbs, and we see them here. And we see it in the identity of the son. The son is potentially named Arthur Fleck. And the dad is trying to help him understand which route to go. But if that much is true, then the reality is this, there are Arthur Flex sitting here in this sanctuary today.
And if that is true, then we know that there are also jokers in the book of Proverbs, and we see them on display as the people who are doing all of these horrible things for the sake of plundering and getting more stuff for their house. And if that much is true, then there are also jokers sitting among us here today in the sanctuary. And the question becomes this, at what point do we want to interact with their story? Unfortunately, we hear more about the actual jokers, and we find out where they land because they find themselves in a movie theater in Aurora, and all of a sudden the story switches, which is one of the reasons why this movie is so controversial, because it elicits this idea of, maybe I don't want to put myself in the shoes of the people who do such horrible things. And to that I would agree. I don't necessarily want you to put on the shoes of a mass shooter and think about what it would take to get there, but I do want you to put your feet in the shoes of the Arthur Flex. Because there's a difference between the Joker and Arthur Fleck. They're the same person, but it was a journey from the high road to the low road that got them there. And if Arthur is sitting among us here today, then it's time that we look around and start to figure out who they are. Because every once in a while, that story that they need to tell, you need to be available to listen, or else there's no one to tell it to, and there's no one to hear it, and there's no one to protect them. There are no more mothers, and there are no more fathers, and suddenly it's not a garland around your neck. It's actually a noose, and that noose starts to tighten, and you panic, and you make bad decisions. Arthur is here today. I would encourage you to meet him. Now, I don't want to get political. I'm going to try my best not to get political, but it's hard not to with everything going on in the news this week. I want to talk about the president. Probably not the president you're thinking of, though, because I really don't want to get into the politics, but I do want to talk about a particular president, my personal favorite president. Has everybody heard of kid president? Yeah, that seems way more exciting than whoever was like, don't talk about that, talk about Jesus. Like, I'll get back to it, I'll get back to it. But I, uh, kid president has a lot of good things to say, and he has a pep talk that he did a couple of years ago. Uh, a young kid dresses up like the president, and in this case, he gives us all a pep talk. And a pep talk that I think goes really well with the identity of Proverbs. So instead of getting into conversations about impeachment and negativity and all of that, instead, let's flip the script. Let's talk to a different president. Let's have an encouraging message. I'm going to actually play this for you here today. It's two and a half minutes long, and it's a message from him to all of us here today, a pep talk from Kid President. I think we all need a pep talk. The world needs you to stop being boring. Yeah, you. Boring is easy. Everybody can be boring, but you're gooder than that. Life is not a game, people. Life isn't a cereal either. Well, it is a cereal. And if life is a game, aren't we on the same team? I mean, really, right? I'm on your team. Be on my team. This is life, people. You got air coming through your nose. You got heartbeat. That means it's time to do something. A poem. Two roads diverged in the woods, and I took the road less traveled. It hurt, man! Really bad. Rocks, thorns, and glass. My pants broke. <laughs> Not cool, Robert Frost. But what if there really were two paths? I want to be in the one that leads to awesome. 
It's like that dude Journey said, don't stop believing, unless you dream stupid. Then you should get a better dream. I think that's how it goes. Get a better dream and keep going. Keep going, keep going, and keep going. What Michael Jordan have quit? Well, he did quit. No, he retired. Yeah, yes, he retired. But before that, in high school, what if he quit when he didn't make the team? He would have never made Space Jam. And I love Space Jam. What will be your Space Jam? What will you create will make the world awesome? Nothing if you keep sitting there. That's why I'm talking to you today. This is your time. This is my time. It's our time. We can make every day better for each other. If we're all on the same team, let's start acting like it. We got work to do. We can cry about it or we can dance about it. We were made to be awesome. Let's get out there. I don't know everything, I'm just a kid. But I do know this. This is everybody's duty to give the world a reason to dance. So get to it. something that will make the world awesome. Play ball. Kid president, ladies and gentlemen. If you have nothing else to do with the rest of your day, search YouTube and just find knowledge and wisdom from that kid. Wisdom that works, kid president's got it. He's got it in spades. My favorite line, if I had to pick from it, is uh, obviously I read... Robert Frost at the beginning as well, which led me to find Kid President, which led me to think about Proverbs differently. But my favorite part is how critical he is of Robert Frost. Not cool, Robert Frost. <laughs> Took the road less traveled and it hurt, man. Rocks and glass. My pants broke. It's tough. But I echo that sentiment, especially as I read through Proverbs. Not cool, Robert Frost. Two roads converged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled. The reality is this, the thing I don't like about Robert Frost, the thing I don't like about this section of Proverbs is that it's all a choice. The road less traveled is an option. The road less traveled does not have to stay less traveled. We should all go that way. There's a reason why it's an option. And there is the ability to go and take the low road, but not cool, Robert Frost, you should give us the ability to see the difference between the two and say, I took the one less traveled and I trampled it and I macheted it and I took away all the rocks and all the grass, the glass and nobody's pants will break as I, we go through there. The road less traveled is an option. Not cool, Robert Frost. But you know what? Not cool, Solomon either. Not cool, Solomon, in letting us believe that the one thing you should do is not worry about putting your, shoe, your feet in the shoes of other people. Don't worry about what they do. That, that path takes you to evil. All you need to worry about is this one thing. You don't even need to worry about what's going on over there. But not cool, Solomon, because the reality is this. He wrote a book getting you off the low road, which means Solomon must have spent some time down there which means he has friends and family and people that he cares about trying to keep them off of that road, so he must know something about it. Sometimes you do have to get on the low road to know that you're not on the high road anymore. Sometimes you hit rock bottom to realize that's the last step before you get back up and climb the wall. Not cool, Solomon. There's more to it than this. There's more to it than just saying, always do this one thing. And just like Kid President says, unfortunately, sometimes that's boring. Sometimes it's boring to be on the high road 
with all of the rocks and the glass and find yourself less traveled with other people. You're by yourself and that's boring. So unfortunately, we need to spend a lot of time talking about why it's good to be on the high road, but we shouldn't just stay on the high road. We're gonna have to travel in between. And unfortunately, that leads me to my last not cool statement, which is not cool us. Not cool us that we spend all of our time thinking the high road is the only answer. It's not. The low road is still an option, and it's heavily traveled. And unfortunately, we're getting really good at getting people off of the low road and somehow down to rock bottom with something called cancel culture. Are you familiar with cancel culture? It's this idea that you make one mistake, and if you make it big enough and you make it more public, well, then that person is physically canceled. They're taken off of social media. They have to turn their Twitter pages private because they say something that doesn't agree with what your mothers and what your fathers taught you was okay. We don't think about what their mothers and their fathers taught. Instead, we just judge for ourselves that that's not the way things are supposed to be. And because that's uncomfortable for me, you're canceled. And we segregate and we say there is a low road and you're meant to stay down there. And me from the high road, well, I'm meant to be up here. And in order for me to stay up here, then I have to keep the high road less traveled. It means that I only think about myself in the good ways through Proverbs. I only think of myself as someone who I can empathize with as long as you're the person who chose the way I chose, the way my parents told me to go. We cancel people because we don't actually want for them what we want for ourselves. And we saw this on display this week. The uh, comedian Shane Gillis, you may have heard this story, uh, tried out to be on SNL for this next season. He was accepted with two other people, and then he was promptly canceled because people went back and they listened to uh, some of the stuff on his podcast, and he used certain words, and he was uh, writing certain things on his Twitter, and they said, whoa, you can't have this guy on here. And SNL said, yeah, you're right. Uh, he's canceled. We're not going to pick up his contract. And you can pick any of these stories. And I'm not here to defend Shane. And I'm not here to defend the things that he's saying. But I do want to take a closer look at the things that we're saying when we talk about these people. And uh, another comedian, his name is Jamie Kilstein, wrote this. Uh, he tweeted this a couple of days ago. It says, we don't root for redemption anymore. We don't care if people actually change. We don't want them to become better. We want to watch them burn so that we can sit back and temporarily feel better about our own lives. And that's the option for us as we read through this section of Proverbs. We can very quickly say, as long as I don't pick that, and as long as I pick this, then everything will be okay. And for anybody who, who's down there, tough luck, should have had a different mom. Tough luck, your dad should have raised you better. But mine didn't, and so I'm up here. But unfortunately, the higher you go on the high road, and the more you spend looking down on the people on the low road, you can very easily tilt too far, and it's hard to fall to the low road from that high up on the high road. So there's got to be something for us in between. And this is where I want to, I want to go back to the scripture for a second. I want to spend some time in it because here's something that stuck out to me, and it's the idea of the semicolon. Anybody know what a semicolon is? Going back to your grammar days again. We won't like go through it heavy this time, but a semicolon is very simply a punctuation mark. It indicates a pause, typically between two main clauses. And I want you to go back to uh, looking at scripture. And if you need, it's, it's up here. It says, hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching for they are a graceful garland to your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, semicolon. 
Let us ambush the innocent without reason, semicolon. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit, semicolon. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder, semicolon. Throw your lot in among us, semicolon. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them, semicolon. Hold back your foot from their paths, and their, their, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. For in vain a net spread in the sight of any bird, uh, but these men lie in wait for their own blood, semicolon. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of anyone who is greedy for unjust gain, semicolon. It takes away the life of its possessors. A semicolon is meant only to be a pause. Now, I'm not here to say that Solomon wrote this and he thought to himself, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use this semicolon. And he probably didn't because most of the time you wrote without punctuation within the Old Testament. But the reality is this, it's there now. And the semicolon is vitally important to the understanding of this story because I think at a certain point we need to realize not everyone is lost on the low road and not everyone is secure on the high road. Unfortunately, it's just one clause and you're one stubbed toe away from dropping from high to low, from changing your healthy habits into your negative ones. And unfortunately, we have built ourselves into a place where we think if I just do it for 21 days, I can't make it to the low road because I've gone too far on the high road. It's not true. These things happen all the time. And so instead of looking at somebody and think they have made this mistake and they are awful, just use a semicolon instead of that full stop punctuation. Full stop punctuation is really good for things like Jesus all, but it's not good for using judgment on other people who come from a different walk than you do. Your reality is it's the semicolon. And the semicolon is pivotal here. The semicolon is so pivotal then as it is now because we have actually co-opted the semicolon. And for people who are, uh, have harmed themselves or have attempted suicide, the semicolon has become their mark. And it's actually a mark you can see on some people. You'll see it tattooed on their skin right in the places where they've carved through their wrists or they've uh, hurt themselves in other ways. The semicolon is a reminder that your life still matters. Your life is still important and your story is not over. The semicolon for the people on the low road in Proverbs still have a story. They still have a purpose. They still have something functioning because the reality is this. God is on the high road. God exists on the high road and on the low road. And God sees you on the high road, but God sees you on the low road. They're in scripture. They're just as important as the other people in this story. And if that much is true, God has a plan for the people on the high road, but he also has a plan for the people on the low road. And you might be a part of it. You might need to be the wisdom that they need to get them from point A to point B. There is a difference between the high road and the low road and the people that are on it, but not much of a difference. There's Arthur Fleck on every single side. And unfortunately, Arthur Fleck, as he tumbled from the high road to the low road, landed in clown makeup and woke up as the Joker, but it happened progressively. He transcends into evil. He descends into this character that he became, and there's something we can do about it. So when you're trying to figure out, here's your takeaway for the day, where am I, and what do I need to do to get from where I am to where I'm going? And if I'm where I'm supposed to be, then what do I need to do to understand the difference between the high road and the low road? I wanna use the example of the Rocky Mountain Rescue Group which is a real group of people that you can actually be a part of. You don't have to have a lot of experience. You don't have to know how to climb. You can be a part of any different part of their organization simply because in order to be a part of the Rocky Mountain Rescue Group, you need to have the following things. 
good intelligence, good judgment, good character, a love of the outdoors, a desire to help others, and a desire to be a part of a team. And if that's something you find yourself doing and you know that you are not currently lost in the woods, then you're eligible to be a part of the rescue group. And there's a lot of people that need rescuing. And sometimes it's easy to spot. Sometimes you know because they're out in the forest and they were supposed to be back yesterday and they're not. Sometimes it's easy to tell. Some people are lost right now, sitting in this room, trying to put on their best best, knowing they feel their best worst and trying to pretend like it's all okay. Arthur Fleck and the Joker are still sitting among us. So here's some advice. If you're on the high road, your job is this, search and rescue. It's boring to be on a road less traveled. It's better for us to be together. And so if there are people on the low road, help them. Maybe be the mother and father that they didn't have. Help them to be the person that they don't know they're supposed to be. Give them something to shoot for. Don't just leave them where they're at. They are lost in the woods, and you of good intelligence and good character, a love of other people, a willingness to be on a team, to say I'm following Christ and I want as many people with me. Don't fall for the fact that Robert Frost tells you it's less traveled. It's an option, and there's more of us up there. It will become more traveled and better for all of us. If you're on the high road today, search and rescue. If you're on the low road, sometimes you know it, and sometimes you don't. But there are sometimes, and I think even within Proverbs, even when you get to the stage four evil, the reality is this, there is something that still pulls on you that says, I'm probably not supposed to be doing this. Something about this still doesn't feel right. When I do this thing, when I'm with this person, when I'm in this situation, there's something that pulls at me. I call that thing God. I think that's the Holy Spirit. I think that's God pulling us into a place that says, you're not meant to be here. You're not meant to be doing this. And so if you find yourself in that place, even if you don't notice it, but you are pulling in some way away from what it is that you're trying to do, then your job is to seek higher ground. Find a way to get from where you are to where you could be and start moving yourself up the hill. And if you're somewhere where you think to yourself, well, I'm not really sure, or maybe I'm not the best person, you're a little bit more indecisive, your job is this, because you can't just sit on the sidelines. Donate. Donate your time to the people who need it. Donate your resources to the people who can use it. Find a way to give your wisdom that you have to the people who need it. It's just like having a first aid kit. You don't have to be trained in how to use the first aid kit. You just carry it with you in hopes that when something happens, when it finally does pop off, when the joker does stand up and make his presence known, you might not know how to use the things, but there will be somebody in the room who does. Not every room is full of Arthur Flex. There are some doctors who are sitting on the high road and know when to be there and know how to use the resources around them. You carry those things in hopes that someone will know how to use them. So donate your time, your energy. Because the reality is, us versus them doesn't work anymore. And it's not true. And Kid President said it best. You're on my team. I'm on your team. Let's be on the same team. It's better when we're together. Team is a positive thing. And for those of you who are somewhere stuck in between, let me leave you with this. If you are somehow trying and fighting your way, knowing you're not supposed to be where you're at, and you are thrashing your way up the hill, trying to get from the low road to the high road, hang tight. Because of the people who are here today, help is coming.